Hello, hello, and a third hello. Welcome to Don't Forget Your Towel. Today we'll continue on with Lovecraft-esque, a GM-less storytelling game of brooding cosmic horror designed by Josh Fox and Becky Anison from Black Armada Games. You can check out the Black Armada Games link as well as their Patreon and mailing list links in the show notes below. They're a delightful duo of game designers and also the creators of When the Dark is Gone, Flotsam, Adrift Amongst the Stars, Bite Marks and Last Fleet, so do check them out. That being said, for this particular game, a few trigger warnings first and foremost. This episode contains a bit of strong language, no swear words, but strong language nonetheless. Additionally, there is a moment of implied harm to children. With that out of the way, let's get on with the episode. Previously on Don't Forget Your Towel. Margaret Wilson has just been evicted from her household. She is now in search of a new place to call her home. Well, I must say, this is lovely. Oh yes, it's a splendid home. Now, I must inform you that the last tenant did die, but not in the house. Uh, How did they die? Oh, that dreadful business with Jack the Ripper. Quite astonishing. Maggie realized that sunset was almost about her and she does not have anywhere she can sleep. I will take it. Yeah, and you know, you're pacing while you're thinking, just a bit restless as well, I would imagine, at which point you find yourself in front of the full-length mirror. There looks to be this smudge, this darkened smear that seems vaguely humanoid shaped. Maggie and uh, Dr. Colonel uh, arrive outside Dorian's cavern. Pretty, pretty classic pub. The pub owner gestures to the room upstairs. We need you to push Tanya. Ah! You've got a beautiful baby boy. The baby turns its head towards you, Maggie, and seems to look you directly in the eyes. And then almost as if in your head, you hear a strange whisper. Yeah, just take take it wherever. I don't care what you do with it. No, not my baby. No, you can't. You can't take him. You know what I said, love. You're either out on the streets or your baby is. But, but Samuel. Well, the doctor says they're able to care for a newborn baby at the local orphanage, so I guess I might as well try. One child in particular is standing up in its cot and staring directly at Maggie. Josiah, come along now, back to bed with you. I have a message. You have to pass it on. It's all right. You have to pass it on. Uh, Okay, okay. I heard it from the man, the man from beyond. He has no name, he has no face, and he doesn't like you. He doesn't like you very much at all. It's just a little bit eerie Drains your soul till it's weary Makes you just a bit dreary But it's all Lovecraft-esque It's rancid and vile Stitched your lips to a smile We cannot scream No escaping your dreams Falling in through the seams It's all Lovecraft-esque Be it our strength Our wit, our craft From Faerun to Arkham to Mars We'll take the quest
awesome. I'm going to play a bizarrery, which is a card. I'm supposed to play it after a scene that includes phenomena of interest to science or which appear to defy conventional scientific theory. A baby suddenly speaking in full sentences in the way that it did appears to defy scientific theory and also is of scientific interest. So this is an ongoing effect card. For part one onwards, introduce strange effects not explainable by science targeting objects or plants. So now that's one of the requirements of the scene. Moving forward. The next scene, I believe, is Michaela, you're the narrator, I'm the witness, and Erin and Isabel are the watchers. It's late at night and Maggie leaves her house wearing a dark cloak and her head is covered and she makes her way to a local graveyard. There's a lot of tombstones and she goes to one and stops in front of one that doesn't seem very important, doesn't seem very special. It still looks fairly new. On the tombstone, I guess, there's two names. But what you do see is that there was a boy that died when he was only about a year old and a man who was in his early 20s, late 30s um, when he died. So Maggie is holding something, holding flowers in her hand. You can describe the flowers if you wish. Flowers. (laughs) They are some of the blue flowers that were being sold in the florist's next door to her new place they they look like bluebells or something or other although she's uh, she's not very knowledgeable about flowers either so okay so i'm going to reveal the grave that she has come to visit is actually that of her husband and her child she was lying she was i reckon um he only died maybe mm, six months ago Ooh. Mm. But perhaps the baby died a year ago. You know, despite avoiding this place for quite a while, it still calls to me. And every single time I try coming here, it never gets easier. Seeing your names there, even now, I try. I I try to pass on, to, to, to move forward, but... I can't. N- not not when you're here. Not not like this. Not while I feel the gap, the 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 hole, the sorrow, having to lose you both. Maggie gently places the flowers on the tombstone, um, and maybe it's just a trick of the light. But the the flowers, the bluebells, seem to have this eerie glow to it, almost like moonlight is coming from the flowers themselves. And she sees this light drift up and take the shape of what seems to be quite a burly man. Maggie looks down and she sees a um, dagger in her hand. I'm going to take a step back. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, shocked, kind of terrified. It, it is in the middle of the night. I haven't told anyone that I'm here in a graveyard of all places, and I have a knife now. And, and there's more importantly, there's this, this creature. There's, there's this, this, this figure in front of me. 
I, I turn around and I start running away. A flash of lightning happens and thunder rolls through what feels the whole graveyard. You can feel it rumbling slightly. Um, you, you turn around and this the blue light figure is gone. But you still have the dagger in your hand. I kind of grasp at it, like tightening my grip around its hilt to see if it's really there. I'm kind of like crying. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm convinced this can't be real. Like maybe it's the sorrow, the grief, you know. I'm just seeing my husband's figure after six months. That's that's normal, right? I've heard widows going through worse. That's this is this is okay. It's, it's lightning. It's it's a trick of the light. It's 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 fine. And a dagger. Did I maybe did I? Oh, where are you running towards? I'm, I'm running towards wherever there's moonlight, maybe? Is, is there moonlight? What does the cemetery look like? Yeah, so it was quite a cloudy night. But at the entrance, there are lanterns that mark kind of the entrance and the exit of the graveyard. Yeah, so I would run towards the dancing lights, like anywhere, some semblance of safety, just not in a graveyard at, in, in the witching hours, you know, this is, uh, it was a mistake. I should have, I should have gone during the day like a respectable woman, um, uh, but, but I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be seen as a widow. I wanted to move on with my life and forget the past and I can't and then this happened and 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 if I just go home now, everything will be fine. Like I can I can focus on that and just talk to Dr. Dr. Colonel. Dr. Colonel and and carry on with my life, you know? This this is this is a new page for me. This is a new page for me. And and everything will be fine. See. So the clue was a blue burly figure. And the dagger. And the dagger, right? Yeah. So I guess the the pairing of a blue um, burly figure with a dagger in her hand. So I'm thinking that she killed her husband and child as a sacrifice for the elder gods to bring about the great ending uh, the Cthulian ending I should say but somehow the ritual went awry and even though Cthulhu was brought forth um, or like the elder gods were brought forth she is she met with an accident she's dying so all of this is actually in her head and she's trying to delude herself into thinking that everything is fine or it didn't go according to plan and she's trying to delude herself into thinking that everything is fine and like she didn't do anything wrong even though she did kill and massacre them maybe even ate them maybe that's part of the ritual i'm even being very morbid here so it seems like this figure could be the spirit of her dead husband or at least a vision of her dead husband her holding the dagger would seem to indicate that maybe she had something to do with his death or maybe feels guilty about it for some reason. So going with my ripper spirit or soul fragment theory, I think this could still be the ripper's spirit. Just kind of playing, playing havoc with her, trying to perhaps implant false memories or just turn her turn her mad, turn her a bit insane, um, trying to turn her into a killer to continue his dark work. 
So, the aforementioned spirit. This is a demon that specifically targets women who have had children, rather than just women in general and men, if the demon is confused. He is the creature known as Jack the Ripper, and he takes the form of the father of their child in order to terrorize them and eventually kill them. Okay, so my conclusion is that Maggie murdered her husband um, as one night she was overpowered by his aggression. The previous night weighs heavily on Maggie, but that does not stop her from falling promptly asleep when she gets back home. And in fact, she sleeps quite well, like a log, as most people do so do say. But then she has to wake up, unfortunately, for all those of us, for all of us, she wakes up. She feels rested well, but something seems off. Something about the room she's in seems... Off. It's a metallic, rusty smell coming, wafting around her. Hmm. That's odd. Could be the pipes, perhaps? Perhaps I'll have to ask Mrs. Periwinkle. <clears throat> um, I will go over to my basin and wash my face. I just want to say, like, is the water maybe, like, quite warm? Seems like maybe it's been freshly drawn by someone. Yeah, I don't really know how water worked in the 1890s, but it's quite warm for the 1890s. You know that there must be some kind of tank somewhere attached, but you don't know where exactly it is. Regardless, you wash your face and you look up into the mirror. This is not the full-length mirror with the strange darkened mark, it's a different mirror in the washroom. You look, and for a moment, for a split second, you think you see a blonde woman clothed in a corset and a petticoat. Is she wearing anything else? Well, I mean, if you can see her corset and petticoat, that does imply that she's not really wearing much. I mean, those are undergarments. So I would say that that is, you know, she's pretty underdressed. Maybe stockings and, like, garters? Yeah. I would just like to say she would also have a shift underneath her corset. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. she'd be wearing something underneath the corset yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. What does she look like? I'd say she has like quite full blonde hair. Like quite, I guess, curly and but well kept. How is her hair? Is it out? Is it up? Like what state is it in? It's out. It's loose. It's flowy. Okay. <laughs> under, it's lush. Very underdressed, yeah. Definitely no shoes on. No dress. Her face is a little bit flushed, like she's just been running. Yes, exactly. What do you do? Uh, I t turn around. You do, and there is no figure behind you. Uh, hello? No response. Is someone there? Um, I will sort of poke my head outside of the bedroom, see if I can see anyone on the landing in the hallway. The smell is much stronger outside, but there is no one outside. Hmm. Could be some kind of... Uh, perhaps uh, the rusting pipes of uh, making me see things. It would explain what happened last night. And perhaps why I got this place so cheaply. Oh dear. Wow. 
Oh, God. I can't leave this place. I can't afford much better. Uh, perhaps I could fix it, or, or, or I could find a boy to fix it for me. Hmm. Um, I would like to s- follow the smell. Yeah, very wise decision, horror movie buffs. <laughs> <laughs> um, you follow the smell down uh, through the hallway, down the stairs, and just beneath the stairs you find conveniently you did not notice this before but there looks to be this small probably half your height door what is this door made of is it wood is it metal it is locked that much is certain there's a big padlock there but what does it look like i want to say it looks really ancient maybe it's surprising that maggie hasn't noticed it before because it sticks out so much compared to the rest of the house Yes, it is certainly surprising when you do notice it. It shocks you for a moment because how did you not notice this? Is this more of the house? Is this house, like, is this some kind of storage? Goodness. Well, I I suppose I was in a bit of a rush that day. wonder what's inside. As you're wondering this, you do notice one other thing. The smell does seem to be coming from this room. Yeah, in that case, I'm sort of covering my nose a bit like, oh, God, what could it be? Oh, oh dear, I hope there's not something dead inside. It is definitely pungent. It is very metallic, sulfuric even. And you see at the bottom this dark green slime Ugh! oozing out from beneath. Can I say it's slightly steaming? Okay, yeah, very ever so slightly. Ugh! Oh, 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 no. Oh, God. Oh. Um, I I would like to uh, take a hairpin out and try to fit it in the lock and try to jimmy the lock. Unfortunately, it seems like the lock is quite well made. You lose a couple of hairpins inside of it. I toss my broken hairpins aside like, oh. is happening to me I'll kind of run back maybe back upstairs into the bedroom and grab some cloths and sort of plug up the bottom of the door yeah and you know you're quite successful the smell seems to mildly dissipate to a level where you can go about your daily habits without any issues at least I shall have to ask Dr. Colonel if he's seen something like this before or perhaps I should reach out to Mrs. Periwinkle right away. Perhaps she has a key, and we could get in and clean out whatever the whatever is in there. Yeah. So I think I think that's what I'm gonna do. I think I'm gonna go back to my room, to my dressing table, and I've got some papers there. So I'm gonna write a quick letter to Mrs. Periwinkle explaining the situation, and then I'll I'll go outside the house and try to flag down uh, a young boy or somebody that I can pay to send the letter. Yeah, like a like a paperboy runs up and says, "Hi, my lady. Ah, hello. Um, uh, what is your name? Uh, my name's Steve. Steve. Lovely. Short for Stephen. Pleasure to meet you, Stephen. I would. I was wondering whether you might uh, run an errand for me. I have a letter to be sent. Oh, I can do that, ma'am, but it's going to cost you." Of course. And I hand out uh, a tuppence. <laughs> An appropriate sum for the ni- 1890s. 
<laughs> and the boy says, <laughs> I need this delivered right away. Yeah, I'll get it done for you quick smart, ma'am. I mean, my lady. <laughs> yes, uh, to Mrs. Periwinkle. Ah, uh, yes, yes. I, I, I know Mrs. Periwinkle, yes. Excellent. I shall be here waiting for her. All right, uh, I'll be on my way then. And we're going to end the scene there. So the clue is the green slime goo thing. <laughs> So, in line with my Ripper soul theory, I'm wondering if this could be the room where Annie was actually killed. Brutally killed and mutilated. Perhaps her body was stashed there or parts of her body or something. And, and that um, act is what caused the Ripper's soul to to become detached or, or part of it to break off, causing this kind of flood of demonic energy to to hang about in the room or, or you know, or creating a sort of epicenter for that demonic energy um, that continues to feed his soul fragment. So kind of like a, you know, if we're thinking about Cthulhu, it's almost like a, a portal type thing, but or, yeah, it's just, just an epicenter of this dark energy. Okay, my theory. A gastropod deity is possessing young mothers, driving them mad, until they are either murdered or otherwise meet an untimely end. It feeds off the souls of women. Um, okay, I've done a 180 and basically returned to one, um, an elaboration of my former, of like the first conclusion. Um, so locked items of Jack the Ripper's victims have gained unexplicable energy and demonic power. Maybe Eldritch. Okay, my lovely listeners, so at the moment what I'm thinking, the idea that I'm trying to like persuade or kind of get into it is that there's like a Cthulian monstrosity that lives in the basement and she is Jack the Ripper, so she brought in this Cthulian monstrosity and that's why she had to kill Anne, not because she's a prostitute or something, but because Anne lived in that location and that location was like pivotal for ley lines or something like that. So she needed to get there to, once she killed her husband and everybody, like she needed to get there to actually complete the ritual and she just can't remember because she's traumatized by the death and stuff. Yeah, we'll see how things go. So now we're moving on to part two, and I'm going to be the narrator for the first scene of part two. So the card which Azul played, a bizarrery. Bizarrery. <laughs> bizarrery. Additional effects in part two onwards, which is extend the strange effects to humans other than the witness. So mind you, the problem here is that the strange effects that have been happening so far are the blue glowing figure and the green goopy goo thing. Mm, mm. Is that on objects, can we say? Yeah, yeah. It was, it's been targeted on objects. On objects? Yeah, it has. So, yeah. So, now they guess... so now the effects are going to go to humans other than the, the witness. witness. Okay, so Maggie waits for... Maybe half an hour or so. Trying to give us a little rundown of your thoughts while you wait or what you do while you wait. I don't really want to go back inside the house. There have been so many strange happenings recently and I just can't bear anymore. So I just stand outside 
pacing back and forth. It's a cold day, but I'm just pacing to keep myself warm and to stop myself from thinking. I don't know how much time has passed. And uh, finally, she sees Mrs. Periwinkle approaching uh, along the street. Oh, darling, hello. How are you doing? (laughs) Mrs. Periwinkle, yes, it's it's good to see you again. Thank you for coming by so soon. Of course, my dear, you called. Of course I came and rushed down as well, might I say. Well, there's something odd in the... Was it a cellar? I I think the cellar, it's a... Well... There's something odd about everything, darling. It's rather fine, I've found, to completely ignore the oddities of life. Well, I'd rather like you to take a look at it. It smells very bad, and there's something oozing out of the door, from under the door. It... It seems like the kind of thing that a landlady would be taking care of. It does seem like the sort of thing a landlady would be taking care of. Indeed. Yes, would you do that, please, Mrs. Periwinkle? Very well. Let's make our way inside. Uh, Delightful. Yes, after you. Yeah, you make your way inside, and uh, Mrs. Periwinkle is also hit by the smell. Oh, oh. What in God's name is that smell? Yes, precisely. What have you been doing in my house? Me? I just moved here. I didn't even know that room existed before. The smell was not here when I showed you around. Well, I definitely didn't smell it before. Perhaps a, an animal got in? Well, there are a lot of animals here. This is part of old London. I'll give you that, yes. Yes. Uh, do you have the key for the cellar? Well... Well, what do you know? I do have the key. Oh, wonderful. Let's get in and have a look. Of course. Let me open that up for you, darling. She puts the key inside and tries to turn it, but then says, What are these things doing in here? And she pulls out these hair clips. (laughs) (laughs) How would they got stuck in there? Oh, the bobby pins in the... (laughs) She turns the key and there's a click. And the door opens and you have to... You know, you have to take the cloths away from the floor so that you can actually open the door. And what do you know? The sludge seems to have disappeared. There's no markings on the cloths. They're not even wet or anything. And what you see before you is just a small, rather damp, musty room. It looks like a kind of storage room. Um, You can't see too much at the moment um, just from the light that's filtering in. But what what can we see stored under here? I have an idea. Um, There's lots of clothes that kind of just seem like they were thrown in there. Um, Maybe padding the bottom of the of the little storage space. So lots of like big dresses and things that just kind of seemed they were chucked in there at the last minute. Lovely. So? I don't see anything here. I see a lot of things here. Oh, oh dear. Was this left here by the last the last tenants? Well, I've actually not opened it in quite a while. Well, uh, forgive me, but I, I mean, you can't expect me to be cleaning up after the last tenants that were here. Maggie, how, what's going on in your mind with regards to the slime that you saw before? Yes, I, I definitely saw some slime here before and I'm a little concerned because if the slime isn't here anymore that means that it got absorbed into the floor which is not going to be easy to clean up. Oh I should have taken care of it before as soon as I saw it. 
Suddenly, Mrs. Periwinkle seems to freeze and slowly she turns around towards you. Her eyes are wide and they look like a bright, uh, bright green or bright electric blue kind of color. Mrs. Periwinkle? Are you feeling all right? Uh, and she starts um, babbling on about some strange things. Uh, the blood. The sorrow. The, the knife. The feel of his hand on my throat. It's around my neck. I can't breathe. Help. Uh, uh, Mrs. Oh, gosh. Have EpiPens been invented yet? No. <laughs> uh, and... Mrs. Periwinkle starts shrieking as if she's seeing a ghost or she's clutching at her belly and ah. putting her hand up as if to fin somebody off. Mrs. Periwinkle, uh, oh, uh, I, I slap her in the face. And suddenly she comes back to normal and she looks around at you. Are you all right? Did you slap me? You were having a fit. No, I most certainly was not. Uh, I pull out... Uh, maybe do I have it here? Uh, wait here, I'll, I'll go get my, my things. I think I, I should check your temperature and your blood pressure. and you, You're very not well, Mrs. Periwinkle. You are a strange tenant. I'm very concerned about you. You should see a doctor immediately. Listen here. I am a well-respected woman, and I just went to the doctor recently. I am completely fine. You should check yourself into an institution. Where is this odd liquid you spoke of? Does it still smell? Yes, but it's definitely decreased since you entered the house. It seems like maybe just the musty smell of the storage space maybe got a bit too much. Maybe it's being aired out now. I solved your problem with the smell. It's clearly something that was just left here. And listen, you can clean this up all by yourself. I don't want to stay here for one moment longer with your strange behavior. Any more of this and we may need to reconsider our agreement. Good day to you. I'm, does she walk away? Uh, yes, yes, she, she leaves. Yeah, yeah. She, she leaves in a rustle and a tussle. I turn and stare at the storage room that I have just discovered and all the dresses just strewn about. What an odd thing. Mrs. Periwinkle seemed to be having like some sort of a, a vision or maybe a, a, a traumatic uh, memory that she was experiencing. But the... The knife, it's just so specific. All of these strange things that have been happening, and her eyes. I could have sworn they were glowing, the same color as the slime. What can this all mean? And on top of all this, I have to clean up this mess. What do you do? Are you gonna try to clean up? Or are you gonna leave it? Or yeah, I'm gonna start um, picking up the dresses. So as you you go in and you start investigating do you do you bring like a, a candle or a lamp or anything with you or you just oh is it dark in there uh, parts of it are dark yeah so i'm gonna um light a lamp an oil lamp and um, be bringing it over while i investigate mm -hmm. so while you um you you walk up to a, a dress there are dresses of a, you know a few different colors a few different shades what kinds of colours have we got, guys? Purple and a lot of red. Yeah, lots of reds and black as well, I'd say. Yes. Cool. And I'm going to say there's also a, a light pink 
dress and you're just casting your eye and casting the candle over and as you are turning around you swear you see a wash of blood or at least something red over the lighter colored dress oh i hold the lamp up to it to take a closer look you see nothing of the sort there just looks to be some patches of dirt or dust strewn across the front of the dress. This could be very pretty after cleaning it up a little bit. All the dresses, um, do they seem to be of like a high class? Maybe owned by somebody of a higher class or somebody of a lower class? So yeah, as you guys mentioned, there are some like deep colors, some some bright colors, um, yeah, lots of um, like very bold colors. Things that you would imagine maybe um, maybe an upper class lady would wear for an evening dress, um, but not for day dress. Mm. Um, but you can also, uh, if you feel the fabric, you can also feel that it's not of the highest quality. Um, it's a relatively low quality fabric. How odd. So many dresses. Were they all worn by the same person? What kind of tenant just puts all their dresses in a, a storage room and then just leaves them when they go. And we'll end the scene there. Cool. Uh, so what was the clue in that one? So it was Mrs. Periwinkle's strange fit visions. A gastropod deity is haunting young mothers and using everyone and everything around them to get at them and drive them insane. It feeds off their madness. It was originally summoned by a spurned lover. So um, my conclusion is that Mrs. Periwinkle um, was briefly possessed by it, the Jack Therapy victim that was living in the house before Maggie. So perhaps I'm thinking that it's actually all in Maggie's mind. Maybe there's some kind of monstrosity like a Ugolinac, um kind of toying with her psyche, feeding on her trauma and fears and stuff like that. Um, but I have no idea. Uh, maybe it's all—it's all a dream. Like maybe she has summoned the Ugolinac, and she's being fed. She's feeding it at the moment, you know, in, in her last few breaths. So, yeah. So I, I did want to go with the sort of demonic energy epicenter thing, but obviously couldn't just be revealed right then and there and maybe there's something else going on we don't know so I, I think basically what happened what I was trying to go for in the scene is that the demonic energy was sort of released some somewhat when the door was opened so some of it got transferred to Mrs Periwinkle and gave her a vision of Annie's death at the hands of the Ripper though some of that energy still lies dormant in the storage room, which is why um, I sort of added that blood vision thing, because um, I think that that could still be a place where the energy lies. There could still be an epicenter found there or maybe deeper in, in the house. Uh, we last left Maggie filing through the various garments that were in the storage room. 
she is compiling the dresses and, you know, leaving them all in a pile, uh, going through the various items in the storage room. Uh, as she picks up one coat, she sees a piece of paper drop out of it. Oh, uh, what's this? Um, I bend down and pick up the paper and unfold it. On the piece of paper is a business card. Or, sorry, the card. The piece of paper is a business card. It has the name Billy McNeely and an address on it. Is his occupation on there in any form? It says trader of goods. Hmm. Well, that's quite interesting. Maybe I'll take a look, pay this man a visit at some stage, and maybe he can enlighten me on the um, lady that used to live in this house. For now, I just kind of stick it in my pocket. You exit the room, business card and dresses in hand. As you push open the door, you see the boy from before standing there, just staring at where the door closed was. His eyes are glowing green. For a second, you swear they are, but then he blinks and his blank expression turns into one of surprise. I let out a gasp and drop the dresses and step back slightly. Steven? How did you get here? And I kind of stay back. I'm a bit hesitant. I'm just waiting for him to say something. Oh, hello, miss. I mean, m'lady. What are you doing here? What... This place was locked when you were here. What? Oh, uh, I don't know, miss, uh, me lady. I-, I was just out on the street and then, well, I-, I suppose I just wanted to come say hello and then I was here. And yeah, the door must have been open. And I study his eyes really closely. Are they still green? His eyes have gone back to their normal shade of brown now. You could almost think that you had been imagining it. And I see if there's, try and see if there's anything else amiss about Stephen. Nothing else seems to be different. Uh, He's a bit pink in the face, but that could be because of his surprise at seeing you. Uh, Other than that, you know, his clothes are, you know, a bit dirty as they were before, but nothing is uh, out of place or um, nothing looking like there's been anything different happened to him recently. Uh, he's a very normal little boy. Uh, mm, okay, maybe it was just a trick of the light, that little flick of green. Probably nothing big. Um, very sorry to bother you, my lady. Oh, no, that, that's all right, but come inside. Come in for a cup of tea. Would you like a cup of tea? A cup of tea? Yeah, something to warm you up. Oh, crikey. Oh, I'd love a cup of tea, m'lady, if, if that wouldn't be too imposing on you. Oh, no, that that would be all right. Yes, come through, come through and have a seat. Um, so I'm going to lead you through to like a little living area, I guess. I guess we haven't really seen what that looks like yet. The boy's just looking around like, whoa, <laughs> what a fancy house. What does it look like, Azul? What does the living area look like? The living area is also much like the rest of... It's actually way more sparse compared to the bedroom, which is way more furnished. Um, There's a table, a dining table, four chairs, and there is a small kitchen uh, pantry area that's kind of adjacent part of the living area. It's kind of all, you know, multifunctional, that sort of thing. 
Okay, well, have a sit down and I'll pop the kettle on. Yes, I'm kind of fumbling my way around the kitchen because clearly I haven't been down here that much. Um, but I managed to make a cup of tea. Um, maybe I find a tin of like canned peaches or something and just like give that to the boy to eat. Um, well, here you go. Um, oh. Eat up. Oh, thank you, miss. Oh, God bless you. <laughs> I also think there's a vase with the blue flowers in them. Okay. And the boy's just like stuffing his face with the peaches and draining the cup of tea. (laughs) Yeah, and I sit down opposite him um, with a cup of tea myself. Oh. Oh, Thank you, miss. You're very kind. Uh, So so where do you live, young young boy? I live... Not three streets down. Yeah. Um, do you have parents or...? Uh, well, I've got me mum. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, there's uh, 12 of us kids. 12 of you? Yeah. Billy's me oldest brother. Well, he left not one year ago off to uh, make his fortune and whatnot. And the rest of us, well, we just do all the odds and ends jobs, trying to scrounge together a bit of a living. I see. Um, and your brother, Billy, um, I take out the business card and does it happen to be this Billy? And the boy just kind of squints at it and is like, what does that say? Well, it says, um, Billy McNeely. Trader of goods. Um, is your surname McNeely? Yeah, yes, it is, Miss Milady. Ah, uh, yeah, Billy McNeely. That is my older brother. I see. Um, a trader. That that sounds like something he might be doing. Yeah, and do you do you have any idea what what he sells? Hmm. Well, I don't see him too much, you see. But as far as I can gather, he sells all sorts to all sorts of people. Got his finger in a lot of pies, you know. Ah, I, yep, I see. Um, was there an address on the business card? Um, yes, there was an address on the business card, uh, right in the heart of the the Regent Circus Bazaar. Hmm, okay. Well, um, well, if, if you'd like to see your brother, um, perhaps you could accompany me to this bazaar that he, um, works in. Oh, Regent Circus! Yeah, that one. Of course! Oh, oh yeah. I, I I think I know where his usual spot is, in fact. Oh, that's that's brilliant. Yes, well, um Well, I could take you right now, miss, milady. Um, okay, yeah. Um I just tidy up a little bit and grab the cups and things and um right, let's go. Let's go. Did you want to take any goods for trading? Or maybe even the dress that um his card fell out of. Okay, yeah, so I um I can <laughs> pack a trunk, I guess, um, with the dress. Um maybe I'll put like a necklace or two in there, um, in case he's like a good businessman and I can make some money off some things. And yeah, I'll put a put a hat on and head out. So, unless I'm mistaken, the clue for this scene was uh, Billy suddenly appearing and his green eyes, green glowing eyes. So I'm going to say that um, somehow there's like, you know, some sort of rift and we've gained access to another dimension. 
um, and my conclusion is that um, ultimately we will find a space where these dimensions are become blurred and all sorts of creatures and plants and un inexplicable things um, all gather in one place. Yeah, my dudes and dudettes and everyone, I have no idea what the hell is kind of the situation I'm in at the moment. Um, maybe Billy is also a cultist and Billy's the only person who knows what's going on and Billy's like maybe the person who helps Jack the Ripper get these people and I'm still thinking Maggie is Jack the Ripper maybe. Yeah, like I'm, I'm a bit all over the place at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, so I still think that um, there was sort of energy center in the storage room um, that we might see, you know, the, the energy is going to be part of the final horror or indicative of the final horror. So I'm thinking that, you know, in terms of how it's going to take its physical form, it might be slimy or sludge-like or maybe even fungoid. Maybe there's, uh, maybe, you know, the houses of the, the victims or places where the Ripper's victims were are actually just smaller epicenters of this energy um, where his spirit was sort of split. But maybe the true epicenter, the largest epicenter, is somewhere in the bazaar because maybe that is the location where the Ripper used to live or maybe even still lives. So, um, my theory is still pretty much the same. Um, I just wanted to add that the gastropod deity has the ability to warp and bend space-time and has the ability to do so um, with basically any object, anything. It can make people appear in different places. It's happy to use anything to its advantage. It will drive our hero to madness and feast on her mind. So we are going to Regent's Circus Bazaar. Um, so that is a seedy marketplace for all things non-kosher. Um, and we're going there to see Billy McNeely, criminal and disciplinarian, um, or as his business card says, trader of goods. It's a pork market. What? Pork market? Oh, because non-kosher. <laughs> oh, non-kosher. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Well. Cool, so part two is done, and because the witness is actually intentionally wanting to go to the location of the final horror, we don't actually need a force majeure scene. Instead, we go directly to the journey into darkness scene. So the journey into darkness scene is a special scene. It is a scene in which we all take turns to narrate the journey into this darkness wherein the final horror exists. Um, we describe the environment, describe the witnesses in her thoughts, elaborate on previous narrations, that sort of thing. And the final step of the journey into darkness is the end and the beginning of the next scene when things really get into the final horror. Cool, are we ready? Yes, so the uh, bizarrery has a part three effect, which is to extend the strange effects to the witness. So that will be coming into play. So Maggie and Stephen exit the house and the sun is just beginning to set. 
Um, so there's maybe about an hour left of um, light. Yeah, Maggie's got her trunk with her, um, with a dress, um, and with a few items that she could potentially sell. Um, Stephen, I mean Steve, is um, sticking close to Maggie. Um, he's very excited that he's going to see his brother, um, but he's also really like grateful that Maggie has kind of come into his life and is feeding him, giving him money. Um, so he feels like this will be a beneficial relationship. So he just wants to be as kind and as helpful as possible. As Maggie and Steve keep walking, Maggie notices that Steve's hand gets tighter and tighter around Maggie's hand. And it almost starts to feel sticky and a bit wet. So as they start nearing the bazaar, they kind of, um, not on like the main street of the bazaar yet, but kind of the surrounding streets, starting to get a sense of the atmosphere of the bazaar. We're seeing some, um, you know, people trading, some harlots uh, standing around selling their wares. (laughs) Um, And um, as they come into this um, quite lively atmosphere, Maggie starts hearing those whispers again, those voices again. And it, you know, it sounds like it's someone right near her ear or inside her head. But now it's sort of, it seems like it's coming from all over as well. She hears laughter, cackling laughter, men calling out whore and slut and and it all sort of just mixes in with the you know the natural natural calling out that people are doing along the street you know shouting out their prices and their goods and things and she feels quite overwhelmed by it she tries to focus on their faces but it's as if she has taken off their, her glasses or or something like that that kind of effect they're blurred or just hard to focus on it, it's almost like like they don't quite have a face, but that can't be right. The feeling of Steve's hand in Maggie's um, starts to feel quite icky and sticky, and she looks down and sees green oozing out of the space between their hands. They're nearing the bazaar even further now. They're almost at the entrance. Maggie sees these lights, dancing lights all around her, almost warping the surroundings, making it seem like the sky has angles, that the sky is angled. And as they come into the bazaar itself, um, these lights start to sort of come together in like one huge ball, almost like a blinding ray and Maggie again sees this color of green Um, she can't quite work out exactly where it's coming from but it looks to be somewhere uh, slightly higher up than street level maybe on a second story Maggie tries to pull her hand away from Steve's concerned about the green slime that's coming from them but she can't quite it's as if her hand is glued to Steve's. She says, Steve, are you all right? Maggie looks over um, to Steve because he's not responding. And in, instead of the, the little boy that she had fed earlier, 
um, there's a furry, snarly beast with a human hand and human feet staring up at her and looking deep into her eyes. Certainly the bazaar is an active place and yet somehow it feels lonely, it feels claustrophobic. Regardless of the large space, it feels almost suffocating. It feels as though all of these different stimuli are coming at Maggie, coming at her almost as if with the intent of strangling her. Yeah, and you know, they've still been been walking this whole time and they're getting closer and closer to this green light and suddenly Maggie hears in her head, clear as day, And uh, yeah, and that strangling sensation is is getting more and more intense. And Maggie's just she's clutching at her throat with one hand; the other hand is still stuck to Steve. And she's she just, oh, oh, I don't know what is happening. Oh God, please save me, dear God! Suddenly, her hand is freed, and as her hand gets freed, all of the rushing feeling and this sense of something closing in around her throat and the light, it all switches off. And she's alone in this bazaar. Maggie looks around and what was once just people selling their wares, um, shouting out in English, has been replaced by strange creatures that she can't even begin to understand. Some look like pulsing mushrooms, some are just plants that somehow are speaking in a tongue that she she doesn't understand and there's so so many words being said and she can't understand any of it. Translucent shapes seem to morph in front of her smells that she's never thought she could smell, taste polluting her tongue. She sees these figures coming in and out of space, being there and not being there at the same time. She has arrived at the bazaar. So, now standing in the middle of this bazaar, with the green light almost directly above her, the strangling sensation begins to subside just a little bit. And these these fungoid creatures are getting closer and closer. And it seems like they're almost taking over the bodies of the people standing in the bazaar. Ooh, I want to say that they're kind of like oozing this green, green stuff out. Yeah, nice. As more and more of these fungoid creatures um, kind of build up and, and begin to take over, that same awful stench starts up as well. It's not just, you know, it's not just metallic, but it is, it is the stench of blood, uh, of decay, of dead bodies. And as these fungoid creatures take over, the green light gets bigger and bigger and then seems to kind of burst out like burst open and reveals a shadowy figure a male figure 
wearing what seems to be a top hat. And a cane. He's holding a cane. Seemingly from the shadow, but also inside Maggie's mind, um, comes this distinctly male whisper that says, Margaret, hello, my old friend. Who are you? Don't you remember me? Should I? (laughs) So you kind of get the sense that as these fungoid creatures are sort of crawling up in there, they're crawling towards you and it's sort of starting to come up your body. You can feel the furry, like this furry, sticky, wet um, substance and seems to be bringing the shadow more into focus like they're materializing into a human get off me get off me the shadow sort of steps out into the light kind of and begins to fully materialize and you see you see a man a sort of young young to middle age man with these piercing blue-green eyes and a sharp, sinister smile on his face. How about now? Why don't you take a look in your hand? She looks down at her hand. And uh, the dagger from earlier appears there. I I didn't take this. No, of course you didn't. It belongs to me. A dreadful feeling starts to overcome you that actually you have seen this this man before and you remember holding this knife before and in fact you also realize that the house the house that you're renting right now you've been in that house before too in fact you've been in the very room where you found Stephen earlier the storage room and as you look at the knife and the strangling sensation comes back and the, the mushroom-like beings are crawling all over your skin, a memory comes back to you. No. Of this man, this man that you see in front of you with his hand on the back of your neck. No. And a young woman, a young prostitute who you know to be Annie Chapman on the floor in front of you. No, I don't know you. Her body is decimated. She has a huge gash right down her middle. There's blood everywhere, spurted all over the floor. Some of her her organs are, are lying next to her body. And you look at your hand with the knife in it and the knife has blood dripping uh, from it. Uh. And so does your hand. In fact, it's dripping all down your arm. I, I didn't. I'm, I've never met. This didn't happen. And the man with his hand on your neck says, Very good, Margaret. Very good. Vengeance does feel sweet, doesn't it? No. None of that could have happened because if it had... Then that means... Do you remember me now, Maggie? You... You... 
Yes. Some call me, well, Jack. That's right. What have you done to me? You know what I did? No. no. I helped you. I helped you get revenge. And suddenly you start you start getting more more flashes of memories. You see yourself watching Annie following her as she as she goes to her home. And you see in some of these memories that she is carrying a bundle what looks to be a baby and you you feel a stab in your heart as you know that this is your baby my baby my darling will why is she why has she taken him what has she done with him why is she doing this she doesn't deserve to be a mother you have to get your baby back one way or another and so you hear through some connections you go on a journey to find somebody who can help you and it leads you to a flat above the bazaar a flat where you first met the man who stands before you now he tells you he has a great deal of experience with troublesome women I, I just wanted my baby back. Of course you did. Oh, but your poor husband, he couldn't live with it, could he? He never was a sensible type. Could never do what needed to be done. Couldn't do it, could he? No. And what did you do to him? Oh, no. <laughs> I... Oh, I killed him. That's right. <laughs> we were split apart for so long, but I'm back now. No. I'm here, Margaret. My love. No. You are mine. Our souls are bound. Meant to be together. No. You can't. You, you can't do this. But I can. For I am no longer living and not quite dead. My soul is bound to this earth, and so can yours be. No. I want to see my my child again. I want to see my, my husband again. They are here, Maggie. They're here? They are here with me. And you see a vision of them appear behind Jack. Almost almost like ghosts, but in, in full colour, as if you could reach out and touch them, but they're just staring blankly. Will! Will, my sweet child! Don't you want to touch him again, Maggie? Don't you want to feel him again? I, I reach out my hand towards him. Just take that knife. My knife? Yes. One more. That's all it takes. An innocent. One more. And, uh, and at this point, you, you look over and you see that Stephen is, is back in his, his normal form. He just, he's looking around and he's looking up at you like really confused and scared. Like, what's going on? N no. No, I, I can't. You can. You've done it before. 
to those harlots, not to someone's child. Oh, he's the child of a harlot, all right. Uh, my, my lady, what, what's going on? What's, who's that man? Oh, that's, that's Jack, Steve. Jack? Who's Jack? Well, he's helped me a lot before. Uh, he's a, a friend of sorts. But he's all evil looking. Yes. I'm going to give hand the knife to Steve. Steve, you must get away. Use this knife. Stab me. Oh, milady, I can't do that. I can't. Yes, you can. No, no, you can't. You need can't to make, make it home me. to your mother. No, you need to stab me now. I, I'm just ten years old, milady. I, you can't make me do this. I, I've never held a dagger before. Steve, it's me or you. <laughs> Why can't it be both of us? You don't want to turn this boy into a murderer, do you, Maggie? Well, he'd probably grow up to be one anyway. It's better that than dead. I'm calling out for Billy, like my brother, seeing if they, where he is, because I'm just really confused. Why are, why are there mushrooms? Um, why is there someone just kind of floating above us? Come along, Maggie. Don't keep me waiting. Maggie runs towards Jack and tries to punch him in the face. You feel your arm move through the air, but as you go to make the the impact, it's like it freezes, it stops. There's something that's sticking it in place. And you look down and you see your hand is slowly being covered in the fungi. <sighs> Let me go. You didn't think it would be that easy, did you, Maggie? I waited until I was at my strongest. See, run! If you don't want to be with me, then I'll unleash this terror on the whole of London. Steve is going to run over with the dagger and stab the mushroom. Stab the, fun- the fungi that's eating the hand. The fungi, um, it almost like squeals and squelches and retreats. And he's just like, yeah, he's just keeping like stabbing it repeatedly he's like just terrified really scared like he's just a kid he doesn't know what what to do but he just wants to save um maggie so it's just like trying to get her hand out of there but unfortunately the fungi is also regrowing at the same rate as he's stabbing and uh jack turns his attention towards you and the fungi starts growing exponentially it's crawling up the knife and onto Steve's hand. No, let, let her go. Let her go. Maggie. What do you want? What do you want me to do? You know what I want. I want you to take this child's life. Split your soul. Become one with me. Kill the boy. Kill the boy. Kill the boy. Kill the boy. Damn it all. <laughs> uh, and I'm... Can I, Am I able to grab the knife at this point? It's covered in mushrooms, but you could try. Okay, so I, I go to grab the knife. And uh, the mushrooms sort of recede to your touch, but they're still crawling all over Steve's body. M- 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 lady, help me. I'm sorry. M- m- lady, please tell, my, tell me, Mum. I love her. I don't know if I'll ever get to meet her, Steve. Goodbye.
Having done as Jack wished, Maggie becomes part of his world. Her soul is bound to Earth, but also the spirit realm. Interestingly, the streets since then have never been so quiet, and the one known as Jack the Ripper doesn't seem to have struck again. This a sigh of relief breathed in London. In the local graveyard, the caretaker is doing the rounds and notices one of the tombstones has an extra name on it, sitting underneath that of a young boy and a man is the name Margaret Wilson. Margaret's perception of the world is no longer as it was. She is Jack's prisoner for all eternity. Her soul is bound to him. And the promise that he made of seeing her son and husband beyond the grave has not been fulfilled. She lives out her lonely days by Jack's side, feeding his soul with the energy of her own. The camera pans quite south, southwest to be exact, across the Atlantic and through the many mountains and bays and states of the United States before finally coming to a stop in a little town in Massachusetts. The camera pans further in, zooms into what looks to be an abandoned house and a boy running in there, just having been dared to look inside the house to see if he can, he has the courage to enter the house. He runs toward the entrance, presses the bell, and there is the sound of a bell ringing, emanating, reverberating throughout the house. The door opens and a man, a tall man with a hat and a cane, smiles, a crooked smile to him and says, Why, hello there, young chap. you like what you hear, please connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at DFIT underscore podcast, on Facebook at Don't Forget Your Towel Podcast, and through email at dfitpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a few dollars to spare and you've been liking what you hear, please consider donating to us on Patreon. But if you don't have a few dollars to spare, that's all good too. Just keep listening and like or review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Every single rating goes a long way to helping us increase our reach and to share the RPG love. Till next time, keep your towels at the ready.